0: Alright, I want you to ponder the following question over the next few minutes, and it's likely the strangest question you've heard a week. So, just fair warning, you've probably not pondered this this way. Well, you may have, but you probably haven't. The question is this What is God inviting you into? What is God inviting you into? Now, I remember when I was at primary school, and there were invitations flying around. There was one particular party that everyone was looking forward to, except me, because I wasn't invited. And I remember my little mind trying to grapple with this and thinking, surely I'm, I'm not the only one that's not liked, and maybe I've got forgotten. And then after that party happened, there were the, the piercing stories of how good that party was. My little mind, of like, I don't enjoy invitations. And then, many, many years later, 20 years ago nearly, Lyndall and I got married. And we had that task of, who do you invite to the wedding? And so as we went through, we invited some, and we drew the line at others, and we did that dance that every married couple have to go through. And 20 years later, I realised that we probably could have saved ourselves 20 seats. We just didn't realise it at the time. And then I've got two kids, six and four, and they get invites to parties. And they are so stoked when they get an invite. But you know you know why they're stoked? Because of what's gonna be in the party bag at the end of the party. And depending on which one gets invited to which party, will they share the contents of the party bag with each other? So invitations are these potentially wonderful things, but sometimes horrific things if we're not invited, joyful things or hurtful things. But have you ever considered what God is inviting you into? What's God inviting you into? You see, God has a different criteria than we do. When we put up an invitation and we invite people to it, that's, that's informed by our history and our relationships, our insecurities, our comfort levels, our desires, our dislikes, and all of that stuff. But God is beyond those things. Those things don't bother God. God operates out of one sole basis, His love. He invites people based on his love, and he loves everyone, regardless of their status, their position, what they do, or the direction they're walking in. He loves every single person. And the passage of Scripture that you heard today reinforces that. And I want to kind of flesh it out so we can get the the gravity of what was happening. The invitation that God gives goes to Abraham, who was at the time called Abram. He was 99 years old. Have we got any 99-year-olds amongst us? No, not yet. We might have some in our congregation, some in our space. 99 years old, and God comes to him to give him an invitation and a call forward. See, you're all young. I don't know what you're worried about. And he tried, over those 99 years, to trust God. He tried to live a good life. He tried to be obedient. He tried to give himself to these things. In fact, God had called him out of this really comfortable space to live in the desert. At 99 years old, he follows. And then God turns up and says, I have some land for you. And we all understand the concept of land and the value of land, but for Abraham, who had nothing except... We might want to... Leanne, can we just close the, the windows before they slam or something? Thanks. Um... We understand the concept of land, but back then, land was really significant. Land meant safety, it meant security, it, it meant you had a future, you could uh, uh, farm the land, you could put cattle on the land, you could actually really make a name for yourself. And in verse 1 of chapter 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and blamelessly as you have done, and then I will make my covenant between me and you and I will greatly increase your numbers. I will make a covenant. That's what the video was about earlier on. We don't use that word anymore. Can you think of the last time you heard the word covenant? It's been a while, right? The closest we come to is a wedding ceremony. I did a wedding ceremony just yesterday of some really close friends of mine. And let me share, you, share with you some of the vows that they exchanged, because the vows sit at the heart of the covenant. So Jason said to Sophie, As I stand here today, I promise always to give you the car with the aircon in. And I promise to let you pick up our Daisy, dog Daisy, her business, before I see it. Sophie, I even promise to let you have between two and four decorative pillows on your bed. (laughs) Classy, powerful stuff, right? There was a lot more substance to it. That wasn't the be all and end all of the vow. But vows are reflective of a covenant. They're a promise we make in time to another person who we deeply love to say, I will live by this, I will stand by this, I will die by this. And that is what God was doing to Abraham. He was saying, Abraham, I want to offer this covenant to you like like the vows in a wedding service are exchanged between two lovers. And just like... Jason and Sophie's kids, if they have them, will benefit from the vows that they make. And just like their grandkids will benefit from the vows they made yesterday, all the generations from Abraham onwards will benefit from the promise and the vows that Abraham makes in this moment. So God goes first. God goes first. He vows to Abraham. He says, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Now, he had no kids at this stage, and he's 99 years old, right? You get the picture? You'll be father of many nations. Your name will be Abraham. It was Abram. You will now be called Abraham. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. He's just a dude with a wife and no kids. Kings will come from your family line. God, I'm 99. I'm <laughs> not sure you, you saw the news. I will establish my covenant in an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations and the generations to come. And the covenant will be that I will be your God. I will be there for you. I will be the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, which was the land that Abraham was moving toward as he was in the desert, that whole land where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you, As an everlasting possession, you and your descendants after you, and I will still be their God. So, when a covenant like that is offered to Abraham, what's he to think? What would you think if you're in Abraham's shoes and you're offered that covenant? Well, I'm pretty convinced that in that moment, if if Abraham took God at his word, all fear would be extinguished. He'd have nothing to worry about, there'd be no fear. Because what God has basically said is, I will look after you and your descendants. All the things you worry about, about having land, about having children, about being looked after, about growing and becoming strong. All the needs that you have, I will take care of. God says, I will take care of them. This is my promise to you, a covenant to you. Now, there's another side of the covenant. There's always another side of the covenant. And the other side of the covenant wasn't good news for blokes, especially. And that was that it meant you had to be circumcised. Now, might be a bit more costly if you're 99 years old and you get dumped with that news, rather rather than a newborn. Circumcision, you see, was a sign that they belonged to the covenant. All they had to do to be part of this covenant was wear a sign that was emblazoned on their bodies to say, I'm part of this promise that God has extended. That's all they had to do. And circumcision is the equivalent, we've got to be careful with this analogy, but to a wedding ring. Rings are are exchanged at a wedding service, and that ring is the constant reminder. It bears witness to those vows that were made in that particular point in time. Now, for those of you that have been married, you know that at times marriage gets tough. It gets hard. Even when you think you've ironed out all the kinks, more comes up. And it's at those moments you don't go, oh, this is what I want. You go, hang on, what did we commit to? What were our vows? What holds us? In this covenant and you think of those vows and you think of what you committed to and that you're in it and and you wear a ring that holds that now there's comfort and strength that you get from that not just by going this person is committed to me but by saying I've committed to this person I've made a covenant with them you see Abraham was able to live this adventurous faith because God removed the fear with this rock-solid covenant, this promise that he extends to, to Abraham to say, the things you worry about have taken care of them. Trust me. And so God has this covenant with Abraham, which infuses so much faith that a few years later, Isaac is born to this 100-year-old man. And then as a result of that, God then tells Abraham Abraham, take your son Isaac to the altar and sacrifice him for me. What? And you read the scripture, Abraham doesn't flinch. He doesn't even stumble. He's like, I'm on it. Because he knew that if God was true to his word, Isaac held all the future of that. And so Isaac was safe in God's hands. So he walks to the altar to do this. And at the last moment, God relieves him of that duty. But Abraham is convinced again that the covenant God made is rock solid. When we realize that God has made a covenant with us, it can change the way we live. It can change everything about us. And what God began to do with Abraham, that as you saw in the video has been repeated several times since, it was delivered fully in Jesus Christ. Jesus came from God to humanity, holding this covenant, this invitation, this offering. And it was, it was a covenant that is so outrageous that it doesn't even make sense. It was one that Mia was welcomed into this morning. One that can radically change our lives if we let it. And what, is it, what does the covenant look like? Well, thankfully, circumcision wasn't continued in the firmware upgrade. So we're, we're saved of that. But Paul explains it best. Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus that was a church much like us. It was a church full of people that had no Jewish heritage or Jewish connection. They were known as Gentiles in the ancient world. So we were, unless you're Jewish, you, you were a Gentile. And Paul writes to that church to help them understand the covenant God made with Abraham. So in effect, he's writing these words today to help us put it together. And he says this, Ephesians 2, verse 12. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenant of the promise. So you knew about the promise, but you weren't part of it. You couldn't partake in it. It was of no benefit to you. You remember that? Without hope and without God in the world. He says it wasn't good for you. If you weren't a Jew, it wasn't great news. He says, but listen to how it is now. He says, but now in Jesus Christ, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's changed. It's broader. It's wider. It's not just about the Jews. It's about everybody. You are all welcome into the covenant. And so Jesus comes with this covenant that we can only take on if we're made right with him. If our relationship with Christ is made right, we get the covenant. If not, we can't can't actually handle the covenant. And so to make us right, it requires blood. And so God chooses to spill his blood for our sake on the cross, that we might be whole and we might take this covenant. You see, God paid the price that we are owed that resulted in a way for us to take on the covenant. So let me give you an illustration to help you understand this. And for those of you who are superstitious, this will freak you out. You can't really be superstitious and a Christian, right? Like, how can I have faith in God but be superstitious? And in case you're wondering what I'm talking about, it's superstitious to open an umbrella inside. But think of the covenant like this. Say say Jesus holds the covenant and he comes to us and he, he flips it open. And he says, come be part of this covenant. Cause you'll be, you'll be sheltered. Think of a bigger umbrella, right? But you'll be, you'll be sheltered. Come, come be part of that. And as we move toward Christ, we accept the friendship of Christ. We accept the relationship of Christ. We come close to Christ. We're made right with Christ because he says, I've made you right. Come in, come in. And so we come into the shelter of this. Now, what are we sheltered from? Well, well, out here, what, oh, is that echoing in? That sounds so weird. Hang on. There we go might not sound weird to you, but that sounded very weird to me. Uh, What we're sheltered from is saying, I've got this. I don't don't need the umbrella. How good I am or how bad I am, I'll take my chances with God at the end. But God's already said, no, 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 that's, that's not the scale that we do things on. It's not whether you're right or wrong. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be holy enough for me. And I know that. So I've made a way. I hung on the cross and I made a way for you to come and be part of my relationship, that you are sheltered from everything else. You are given land. You are given stability and security, that the things you are scared of, you don't need to be scared of anymore because God deals with those things. The things that keep you up at night, God has them. He has you. He loves you. And to all of us today, He invites us under His umbrella. He invites us into relationship with Him invites us from out in the storm to into the safety and he says you can live with me here forever it's going to be wonderful because we're friends now and maybe for some of you this morning this is a decision you want to make or you want to start to entertain or think about or contemplate maybe you've just realized hang on i thought i was here but i've i'm actually here and i i need to draw close to christ again i need to come in under the covenant again Maybe some of you are like, I love it here. And I would challenge you to share with others how good it is here. And for some of you, this may be a completely foreign concept. I've never thought of it like that. Well, I hope that this will be something, stir something that God would be able to use in your life and bring comfort and closeness in his salvation to you. So I'm going to put my umbrella down. I'm going to pray for you guys. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your covenant and your love for us. As we saw in Mia, we we, we can't ever earn that love. You just give it to us before we can do anything that's worthy. And Lord, our journey as people is to understand that and to take it on and to revel in it, to enjoy it, to be saved from the storms, to be saved from our, our independence and our rebellion from you, but instead to be welcomed home. Lord, I pray for every person here this morning. that they would hear your invitation into more of you, into closer intimacy, into greater trust, into a more powerful experience of the covenant. Lord, keep inviting us. Keep whispering to us. But accept us. And for those this morning, Lord, that you are, you are working on their hearts and you are alive in their lives, Lord, may they find the faith to trust you more and more. We pray these things in your powerful and almighty name. And everybody agreed and said, Amen. Our final hymn for the day is Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. If you'd like to stand.